You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses, go to surfsimply.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 46 of the Surf Simply podcast. We're recording on Tuesday, the 23rd of May, 2017. My name is Harry Knight, and with me today is Rue Hill. Hello, everybody. And Derek Diedeker. Hello, everyone. It's been a while since we've been on air. We've been away. We've been traveling. We've had a bit of time off. We should probably do that thing that most properly organized podcasts do, where you tell people that you're going to be away before rather yeah. than after you take a break. <laughs> well, to be fair, so um, myself and Rue and a couple of the other members of the team, we went up to Nicaragua and we drove up in our cars and we shipped. We, we, we had all of the podcasting gear in the car, we had to get it through customs. We had to get a carne to make sure that we were bringing it back through customs. Oh my god, the Kaiser customs—that was crazy. We had to we had to write everything yeah. down because they thought we might be shipping the podcast gear to Nicaragua to sell it yeah. for the thriving uh, Nicaraguan <laughs> podcast market. Yeah. Uh, did we record a podcast? No. No. <laughs> we, had, we just had too much fun. It was, we were surfing and we were taking it in turns cooking meals and having our big cook-off competition. You met well. You brought all the gear. It was we, the intention was there. Right. Yeah. The effort was not there. The effort was not there. <laughs> no. Well, it was such a good trip, though. It was. It was good fun. Um, Derek, I'm so bummed that you and Danny couldn't join us. So, yes. listeners, we, we cl- Surf Simply was closed for two weeks in May. So, of every, I guess, every eight or so weeks, we shut for two weeks and give everyone a bit of time off. I think that that's a good way to just run a business generally. Two weeks off every eight weeks. Works for me. And yeah, so we had a we had a little bit of a mid-season party in the rancho to begin with. Yep. That was pretty fun. That, that was, was awesome. a 12-hour party. <laughs> was it? Yeah. It wasn't for me. <laughs> I, <laughs> and I'm assuming, Derek, that you were not far behind me on leaving. Well, normally that would I would have followed suit right after you. But I was actually just talking to Mark about this this morning is that the end of the season or end of the you know going on break parties is I feel when Danny and I actually all right we're gonna party tonight this is this is it and <laughs> then we go on break until the following rancho party usually listeners Derek and Danny are sort of you're you're at home with Netflix ah, on by myself we're abuelos we're the senior citizens I love it but it was, it was really cool we had the rancho was empty the resort was empty so we had like some families and kids and it was just all friends of Surf Simply everyone got together at lunchtime and messing around in the pool and then, like, by about midnight, <laughs> yeah, everyone, it was a little bit more of a dancing vibe. <laughs> I'd gone to Jesse, bed by this point. Jesse and Prado, <laughs> oh, my God, I yeah. had no idea how good they are at salsa ring. Yeah. That was insane. That was great. If um, you want to see what it looks like, listeners, you can, if you go on my Twitter, I posted a little, like, compilation 30-second <laughs> video of, of how the whole day went. It was pretty funny. Pr- was a, Prado's a great dancer. He Prado is. Prado's an amazing He was dancer. on it. And then we drove up good. to Nicaragua. Yeah. And, um... Uh, that was just amazing. We stay, Thank you very much to everyone at Rancho Santana for taking care of us. Yeah. And uh, the waves were nothing epic. We were staying on the clifftop right above Playa Rosada, which is a fun little left-hand reef break. And we, we got some fun waves there, but nothing huge. And then we, we went over to Papoyo Reef one day and decided to paddle out to the outer reef. Uh, I only brought my bonza with me, my little fun bonza egg. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I was got, on my fish. <laughs> you, you were on your fish. <laughs> and it got pretty big. It was like, Did it? It, was, it was solid, sort of two, three times overhead. And you're kind of right out there in the middle of the ocean. It's a pretty heavy wave. And there's a lot of rocks boiling up on the inside. It was, yeah. We were basically were sitting there. And the, the, the reef at Papaya, the normal inside reef, is a great, great wave, really fun A frame. And it was breaking, yeah, a little overhead high. And it was fun, but there were a lot of people out, a lot yeah. of people, you know, hustling around. And we kept looking over and seeing these waves breaking on the outer reef. 
I think Asher and me were like looking, looking at it and looking yeah. at each other, and we kept we were looking at the inside reef, and then we kept looking back at the outside reef, and we were like, yeah, yeah, we we, we do, do this, it. we can do this. Paddling out. So I, I measured it afterwards, and it's uh, it's a one and a half kilometer paddle from wow. the inside <laughs> reef to the outer reef, and so by the time we got there, we realised it was a little bit bigger than than yeah, it had looked, it looked from <laughs> one and a half kilometers away. <laughs> <laughs> that, it's been a while since I surfed, and. You know, a set would come in, and you'd just feel that little like lump in your throat. Like, actually, this is pretty solid. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty epic. That was a really fun trip. The pictures that you guys posted looked awesome, and you know, we get plenty. It wasn't the waves I was jealous of. It was all seeing you guys by the pool, hanging out and stuff. That's where Danny and I were kind of like, oh, that looks fun. It was like, mm. I love that everyone who works together at Surf Simply, you know, when we have a break, everyone just goes on vacation <laughs> together. You think everyone would be sick of each other right, and would want right. to go off in separate directions. Exactly. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. What have you been up to? It's been a while since you've been on the podcast, Eric. Yeah, I, it's, uh, it's good to be back. Thank you for having me. I had a little staycation. My sister Randy and her boyfriend Isaac came to visit and they live out right on Miami Beach. So they go out and stand up paddle and, you know, get a little ankle slappers here and there on some soft tops. But coming out here and having some fun in Guiones was another story. So they watch all the Surf Simply videos and check out the pictures and stuff. And, and so my sister was like, all right, we've got access to Derek and all the knowledge that he's gained through Surf Simply. And so he can kind of take us through and give some lessons. Well, so she, she suddenly realized that her brother is this epic surfer. <laughs> she just didn't know. I, I think I, we went out the back and I, she may have gotten a little bit scared, but she did, she did really well. They went to uh, Il Pepperoni and El Chivo the night before. So they were Very a little bit hungover and... But it was nice. I had them to work with on the beach, and they were really interested in the information. And it was cool to kind of share that with them and watch them have those little moments of thinking about, you know, head up and angling and things. And That's cool. So. Um, I always think it's interesting when you have siblings or, or, or people that you've known really well for a long time who mm -hmm. become really, really good at something yeah. or, uh, you know, really renowned in their field professionally. Uh -huh. And it's somehow hard to take them seriously because you've seen them as a kid being <laughs> through idiot, everything yeah. you know tripping over their own shoelaces being disorganized <laughs> losing their homework putting their socks on the wrong feet or whatever uh -huh. you know what i mean totally and then suddenly they're kind of a i don't know a, a top scientist or right, a right. coach or whatever yeah uh, and it's kind of hard to take them seriously i think that's sometimes uh -huh. why getting taught to drive or even taught to surf by your partner mm -hmm. is like not a it's very tough. good idea yeah definitely I had that same feeling. I got to sit in on one of her lectures back at Full Sail in Orlando, and she teaches psychology there, taught psychology there. And uh, I remember sitting in at the back of one of her lectures. I needed the classroom after her or something. It was like one of those handoffs. And uh, I'm sitting back, and I got to hear her go through some information. That was I, I kind of had that moment of like, whoa, that's pretty, pretty impressive there. Speaking about epic moments of psychology, this is, that's, a, that's a stretch of a segue, <laughs> isn't it? This morning was pretty special. So yeah. listeners, you may or may not know that before we record the podcast, usually we're all coaching in the morning down at the resort, out at the ocean and in the video coaching rooms. And then we kind of come up to my house and, and we record the podcast and then we're all back down at the resort coaching again in the afternoon. Derek was out in the water coaching. Harry and I were swimming around this morning with uh, in-water cameras, which is a really cool way for us to see what all the coaches are doing and to see all of the uh, guests that are staying with us you know, from the front on their waves because we're swimming around in the impact zone. And yeah, one of our guests this week, Genevieve, like the waves weren't small this morning and she's kind of just at that level two stage where she's, she's just trying to focus mainly on actually getting into unbroken waves, getting down the front of them, starting to trim down the line. And she took off on like five solid waves and got her feet a little wrong or one of them she, she took off a little late and got smashed pretty hard. 
And she just kept paddling back out, paddling back out. And it was like 30 seconds before the end of the session. She got into this beautiful left-hander and just managed to get her feet right, got the angle right, got the timing right. She whizzed right past me. I got the whole thing on film. And I just watched the footage that James got with the 800 mil lens from the beach. And she comes all the way down the line. It was like beautiful. And then she comes off the board and she's like jumping around in the white water. (laughs) Like it really was like brought a tear to my eye. It was just such a special moment. Yeah. I was I, on the shoulder for one of them. I saw her whiz right by me, head up, looking down the line. Yeah, it that was it. Really that was good. Yeah, yeah. I definitely live vicariously through guests sometimes when I know this might have been their first angle takeoff, first unbroken wave, and you see them have that moment of triumph when they get to the inside. And I like we don't. I don't remember my first wave. You know, we were little kids, a lot of us. But I can still get the you know the hair on my arm stand up when I see that. Just it, everything sets up perfect, and you see them engage the rail and head up down the line and just have that wave that's just what it must feel like to them because I know that I get a rush over me of like, yes, we got it, we got in there. And so I definitely live vicariously through those those first out-the-back waves or first good angle takeoff. It's a, it's amazing to be out there with them. Yeah, I, I think it's one of the great privileges yeah. of, I mean, not just teaching surfing, but teaching almost anything where the student really wants to learn. Yeah. You know, if the student's really motivated to, to learn the subject and you get that that little breakthrough moment with them mm-hmm. you know I, I i think that is yeah one of the most rewarding things you, you can ever have and i think we're very lucky that surfing has a lot of those little benchmark achievements yeah, all the way through moments, you know yeah. the, the, it, it's not beyond just oh that person stood up you've got the you know the outback wave you've got the angle takeoff the high yeah. line the cutback that you, you've got all of those things that people can really really work and really be trying to achieve that moment you can you can help them Definitely. Help them over that plateau. So I got a question for you guys. There's kind of mm-hmm. uh, two ends of the spectrum, if you like, in terms of the people that we're coaching. There's at one end of the spectrum, you've got people that are newer to surfing, relatively speaking. And as a coach, you get to enjoy those sort of entry level breakthrough moments. And then on the other hand, at the other end of the spectrum, you've got people that have been surfing for like 10, 20 years. Um, and, and, you know, and our guests are about half, half these yep. days. Mm-hmm who've been surfing for 10 or 20 years and kind of hit a bit of a plateau and aren't getting better anymore. And so they've come to us because they want video coaching and they want to be told what the limiting factors are in their surfing is, what they should work on. And then it's a sort of secondary thing, how to work on it. And with those people, you get to tell people uh, how to do something better, which is already really important to them and a key part of their life. Mm. So it's kind of a different thing because the entry-level surfers, surfing isn't a huge part of their life, but then they have these big wow moments. Right. And then for the more experienced surfing surfers, surfing is a big part of their life. And some, some of the skills take longer. So you, you might not get those big aha moments, um, but you're able to give them the tools to get better at something that is really important to them. And, and they are almost more moved, I find, but in a very different way. I, I'm just wondering like, what you guys prefer coaching. I don't think I prefer either. I think the interactions that you have with individual people are unique and very hard to compare. You know, like, like you said, you can have someone who's surfed for years and years and years. And exactly as you say, you may not have that like benchmark moment out in the water. You might do, but, but there's a good chance that you won't. But you may have that in the classroom where you're just able to give someone a perspective on a situation that they'd never, ever thought about. And you can see that the cogs turning in their head and they they come to you afterwards and, you know, I'd never thought about it. Or actually, you know, I'm very lucky because I'm 
my job as the, the coaching director, you know, I'm not always actively coaching people, but people know that the coaching is, is what I do. And so quite often people come to me after doing a lesson with Derek or one of the other coaches and say, you know, I, he was telling me all about this and, and I'd never thought about it that way. It was so cool. And it's like, yes, nailed it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> so, yeah, but, but then, yeah, like a, a level one week with someone yeah. who's never ever touched a board, you know, is great. Yeah. Because every single day, pretty much, you, you get to, to teach someone to do something very cool. Yeah, it'd be tough to say which one you like more because they're kind of equally as special when you have a breakthrough at any, any stage of the game. If it is a little bit higher level surfer, like working with Mish a few weeks ago, we took him on a surf trip and went over to Garza and had one of the best sessions of my life there. And since I moved to Costa Rica three years ago, that session will stay in my head. We had this beautiful session where these gorgeous right-handers coming through and watching him deciding how deep he wants to take off focusing down the line, deciding when it would be appropriate to cut back is like so incredible watching him take those steps. But there is something to be said about that first unbroken wave that it's just like, it's almost like the difference of watching your child being born or seeing their first steps. Both are so amazing. Maybe being born is because that's like the initial first unbroken wave that it sets the tone for the, their surf career for the rest of their life. But then again, those, those first steps walking or that first cutback is like equally as like amazing to see and to, like you said, Harry, it's like we're really fortunate to be able to day in, day out in our job, share that. You know, if you're a teacher and you're teaching, let's say, fourth grade math or something, and you're with that same group of kids for a year, you might have breakthrough moments throughout the year with that one student that finally, you know, the times tables clicks or something yeah. like that. But we week in and week out with different groups of all these awesome people that come to see us is like to get to share the moments with them. You know, a teacher gets it every once in a while in a classroom where we're getting it almost every session you see somebody make somewhat of a breakthrough or realize that thing that what that limiting factor that was holding them back so they're both to me equally as awesome but it's just awesome to share in both of those I, th I think for me the thing that I find really moving is when whatever the level is the per if the person you're working with it's really important to them that like really feels good when yeah. you're coaching them and yeah. one of the things I love about where surf simply is now is that just because of the reputation we've got we tend to attract people who are very passionate about wanting to learn. Yeah. The you more know. people we get that are really passionate about wanting to learn yeah. um, rather than, you know, just wanting to go on a vacation. Right. And yeah, it gets more and more fun. Okay, rolling into the news then. We've obviously been off air for a little while. There's been a few stories that have jumped up and, and possibly even now passed into ancient history of social <laughs> media feeds. But uh uh, the big one that's been dominating the news for the last month or so is the California shark problem. There is a, an unprecedented number of great white sightings. There haven't been too many actual human-to-shark Interaction. interactions, <laughs> shall we say. There haven't been any attacks. There have been a lot of videos of, of you know, large numbers of sharks offshore. Uh, San Clemente was evacuated two days ago, as we're recording, I think, uh, after 25 sharks were spotted right off the beach. So yeah, no one seems to be quite sure why it's happening at the moment. It occurs to me, have you been following the, um, the anti-vax kind of movement? I mean, I thing? haven't been following them. I've been laughing <laughs> at them through the various <laughs> scientific <laughs> well, podcasts well said, that I listen to. <laughs> so yeah, listeners who may not be aware, there's a, there's a kind of a movement of people that are, you know, think that vaccines cause autism, which they don't, just kind of make that really clear. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, they haven't been vaccinating their kids. And one of the main reasons why they think it's been happening, this is coming back to sharks, don't worry, this is oh. a total tangent. <laughs> 
is because um, rates of diagnosis of autism have been getting much, much better. Right. And so if you look at the data, it looks as if aut autism um, rates have been going up. But actually, that's just an artifact of the fact that we're much better at diagnosing autism earlier than we used to. All right. Okay. And I was just wondering, you know, how I'm not saying that the same thing is happening with shark sightings, but it's perfectly plausible. You know, there are just there are more people around and everyone now has cameras and cell drones. phones and there are drones flying around, yeah. you know, so it, it's it's plausible that, you know, shark populations have perhaps gone up a bit, but also our ability to, you know, see sharks out there has has gone up a lot as well, sort of which which makes it appear as if the. The, the shark populations have gone up more than they actually have. Certainly, w certainly with this extended high shark count, uh, it does seem that, that there have been some quotes from the you know the guys up in Monterey, the ocean biologists, uh, you know, at Monterey and things like that, are saying that the the numbers of sharks are abnormally high so for the time of year. So you know, maybe linked. You know, we just had a very very strong El Nino event, which is being followed by a La Nina event. We've got. What's the best part of a 10-year drought in California has ended, and you're suddenly getting a lot of runoff coming off the rivers. So it, it could be any one of these things causing it, but nobody's really sure what the actual cause is. I was curious how you guys, let, let's say we lived in Venice Beach or something, and we're seeing these sightings all around. You know, We don't have to worry about it here, but how would it change your guys' mindset of, I'm going to go out and have a surf today? Would that be any sort of limiting factor in, would you be more nervous? Would you just... Would you maybe surf not as many sessions? Would, would that affect your how many sessions you do a week? Or? You know, I feel like if, if at Playa Guiones here, mm -hmm. there were, you know, confirmed sightings of yeah. 25 adult great white sharks. Right. And you know, you know, feeding time is dawn and dusk. Like, I think I would certainly be uh, be a lot more cautious about going how out. How so? Like less less paddle outs or just more worried when you're sitting out there? I don't know. I don't know. I, I felt the same. I, it was hard for me to... It, it I think it's one of those things you just have to make an evidence-based decision, right? Like you do with pretty much everything in life. Just make a, get, right. get the data, make a decision. So would you say based on odds? not too many, you know, quote-unquote attack sighting, would you say, okay, I'll still go out based on the fact that there may be more out there or there could have been that many the whole time? You know, if there was, if there was, a, a, if there was a drone shot showing as harry said this like huge population of adult great white sharks i would certainly go well i'm not going to paddle out until i've got a little bit more data on just how dangerous this yeah, is yeah you know if it's something that had been happening gradually and was attacks were low for whatever reason then you know that'd be fine yeah. i'd just like to it just i think it's always good in life just to make data-based decisions right, you sleep right. better you're still exactly. wrong sometimes but at least yeah. you can sleep soundly knowing yeah. that you made a decision based on the evidence you had not if you've got no legs you won't <laughs> <laughs> Um, on the subject of people getting into difficulty at sea, again, this is now going back a little ways, but mm -hmm. a UK surfer was rescued off the coast of Scotland after spending 30 hours drifting overnight. That is insane. Um, I cannot believe that he survived that. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, to put it into perspective, the water temperature of northern Scotland at this time of year is probably somewhere around Five degrees centigrade, which is is low forties for you Americans. I would have been dead after three hours, let alone thirty hours. <laughs> I just they would have found a body. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Matthew Bryce, who's twenty two years old, he went surfing, got caught in a rip, got swept out to sea, and then got caught in an offshore current that pulled him uh, in the end about thirteen miles offshore. That's a really unusual phenomenon. I mean, it's yeah. something that as entry level surfers you think about quite a lot, but actually. 
almost all rip currents end, you know, 20, 30, 40 yards from the beach because the right. rip currents are just water returning to sea level. So once it's at sea level, it stops. Right. I, I can't imagine what combination of factors were in place that pulled this guy as far out yeah, to sea. Howling offshore wind or something. Uh, that's that's much more common. Actually, yeah. I mean, you know, when you're doing rescues at a beach as a lifeguard, mm-hmm. most of the rescues you have to do are on tiny little one to two foot days with a strong offshore wind. And then you've got people going out and getting blown out to sea. Right. On the days when it's big and looks absolutely ferocious and there is a lot of rip currents, you've usually got all this white water dragging everyone into the beach and it's right. actually much safer. Yeah. Um, the, the, the coastline around there is very craggy and, and you know, lots of coves and mm-hmm. whatever. I, I can imagine that, you know, when the tide's sweeping around that, there could be quite a, a strong current that would... And for listeners who haven't been to Scotland, basically like North <laughs> of the Wall in Game of Thrones. Apparently, that, th- it, apparently Hadrian's Wall was the inspiration for the wall. Yeah, I could see that. Although Hadrian's Wall, for the most part, is about six inches high now, but you know, <laughs> yeah. it's not quite so dramatic, but... Yeah, anyway, so good luck. I think to the White Walkers were inspired by train spotting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, good luck to uh, Matthew Bryce getting better. He said he's never going to surf again, but um, maybe with a little time, he'll be back in the water. A couple of bits of wave pool news. Enland has reopened in Texas after being closed over the winter. Uh, they were redoing the, the liner. They had a few problems with the liner getting punctured. Right. I believe they made some mechanical changes to the waves as well. Uh, uh, can, I, can I just put a, a case of Pilsen down right now that says the liner is going to get ripped and it's going to shut down for another six months within the next year? <laughs> I will not take that bet based on what I've seen so far with wave pool technology. Yeah, well, and so... Because that, that, that happened at the Kelly Slater wave pool. It happened at the... No, it hasn't happened at Kelly's. I happen to know that it did. Oh, did it? Yes. Ah. I mean, just you have inside information. I have some inside information on that. They had a few issues with the liner ripping, and yeah, obviously it happened uh, in Enland, and it happened. I believe it happened in the one in Wales as well, right? They had the same problem. No, they never had a ripped bottom. They had broken cables. The mechanism that was pulling the wave generating thing through the water, mm-hmm. uh, the cables and the motors went up to it. I'm picturing it like a printer, the way the. Those cables reach out and then yeah, come back? Yeah, sort of. Like it, it actually, the, the company that was behind it, they make ski lifts. Oh, really? Cool. Um, and it was all the same technology as ski lifts, but obviously mm-hmm. dragging a wing through the water put right. a lot more strain on it than right. pulling ski lifts up through the air. So right. I feel like a broken record, but when we started talking about wave pool technology two years ago, uh-huh. the mantra was and still is, like we, we just need to have wave pool technology that is reliable and doesn't break well on that note wave garden have released their new technology the cove Um, we saw some pictures of it last episode we mentioned it they finally released some footage of it which looks pretty promising it looks fantastic i mean they they haven't necessarily solved the uh, mechanical reliability issue but they have solved the number of waves per hour issue video looks incredible even in what like a they've made a 50 by 80 meter replica yeah which is you know a few olympic size pools side by side Right. and the wave looks fantastic it even really at that does. size and they yeah. can scale it up yeah yep. you know my guess is if they can turn waves around as quickly as they say mm-hmm. like they're obviously not dragging anything through Faster the water than they have to I'd, my guess is from the, the the conference that i went to a couple of years ago about wave pool technology it seemed like the most promising one was using air pressure to generate waves you, you could either have like a bellows chamber or use compressed air cannons mm-hmm. firing underwater and that gave you a very high rep rate and a lot more reliability the system because there's nothing it's a lot easier to refill compressed air than absolutely water, right? yeah yeah so anyway we, we we will wait and see at the end of that video 
there was a whole list of projects that are up and coming with this technology, which is pretty exciting. London, Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. I noticed in the UK, uh, three in the US, couple in Australia. I was going to save this for my what to watch, but that's actually my what to watch is the that video and on yeah. Vimeo on the Wave Garden. And I was thinking, I was chatting a little bit this morning about how cool it'll be that one day, whenever down the road, you will have people who, you know, kids coming up that are ripper surfers that may have never seen the ocean before. Rick Kane? <laughs> exactly. I had to think about that for a second. I'm like, wait a minute, I don't Come watch on. WSL. Oh, Rick Kane, yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. Excellent. So going into some uh, competition news, the ISA World Games is taking place as we speak. I believe France has already won a couple of medals. I think they got gold in the women's. Yeah. Le, le Grand Plage. That sounded really good, Lucrant. Anyone think he was dating a French woman? I was going to say Marines. French. And, uh, every time I try and say anything in French, she has this sort of like weary, patient look. <laughs> she doesn't correct me anymore. She just sort of nods and says, yeah, very good. I know that look really well <laughs> with Danny every time I try to speak Spanish. I have a two-question limit with Danny. Second time, if, she, if I don't understand what she said, moving on. Moving on. Uh, yes, yeah, so the ISA World Games are taking place. Lots and lots of countries have entered, including Costa Rica. I wonder how the uh, Costa Ricans are finding May water temperatures in Europe. Yeah, it's a little chilly, I would have yikes. Um, another cold water event, Cape Fear. The waiting period is opened for this year's Cape Fear event. It didn't run last year. Fingers Whereabouts is that? Uh, it's just outside Sydney. It's, cool. It's at the wave called Hours, and oh, it's I've a mixed tow and paddle event right. um, at this stupid... Slabby, Slabby, scary, horrible waves. Yeah. It's so Bruh. close to the rocks. It's funny because yeah. when we were surfing Playa Rosada in Nicaragua, <laughs> and I was trying to take off behind the peak on some of them, and it's pretty shallow. Like if you if you try and backdoor the barrel on the takeoff section, and and you don't make it, and you get smashed, you stand up on a rock slab, and it's about knee to waist deep. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I was I was pulling into these little waves that are about shoulder head high. Going, I am mental. <laughs> charging and then yeah i watched the footage from last year's or whatever it was two years ago's cape fear event the other day uh -huh. and i was like yeah uh, yeah yeah, really yeah there's some hardcore. Yeah. some good footage of that wave in uh brow boys yes yeah, yeah that's they the go one. up to ours yeah a little that's bit the one. It, ours and mavericks are the two waves that if i was the best surfer in the world i still still wouldn't, wouldn't have any interest in surfing and i do i, I really agree. do like charging and even unmakeable waves yeah, you, you are the one person I know who is very happy to sit out the back, get one wave in an hour, as long as it's the biggest one that comes to the beach. <laughs> and you really don't care if it's a closeout or not. You'll right. still pull in. Yeah. <laughs> I see you and Asher yeah, those, in that those, those two waves, the hours and, uh, hours and Mavericks. Mavericks, yeah. And may, or maybe I'd put Shipsterns on that list as well. I, I absolutely. Why would you want a wave within a wave? Every time I see <laughs> Shipsterns break, I'm like, no, no, I just wouldn't do it. No. Final bit of news on the contest front is that the Fiji Pro has finally found a sponsor. And out and known, Kelly Slater's brand are going to be sponsoring both the men's and women's events this year. So I'm very mm. excited to watch the Fiji Pro this year because uh, I, I'm going to go to Cloudbreak in September. Oh, so you're going to be taking time. notes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I've, uh, ever since I interviewed Bill Filligan for the podcast, uh, you know, who wrote Barbarian Days, he, we were talking a lot about, uh, about Tavarua. I mean, he was actually surfing restaurants back when he first went there, not Cloudbreak, but... You know, he oh. serves Clybreak and goes back there regularly now. And he just got me really excited about it. It's been like tickling away in the back of my mind for yeah. ages. So I don't know about you guys, but I always think it's fun going to surf some of the spots that you then see on the WSL webcasts mm. because, you know, it just gives you that special connection with them. You know, when you're watching it, you're like, oh, yeah, and that's what I was sitting. Just oh, there. when we went to yeah, Hawaii, kind of cool, I was like a, 
I was it was like having movie stars around me. I'm like, oh my god, that's it. There's, yeah, there's yeah. sunset. And you could fun. you could be really annoying with oh, your friends as well. Absolutely. And go, oh, well, when I was there, and you'll find it that way. We'll come in. Right. Yeah. The other interesting one with the Fiji event this year is that they're splitting the contest. They're not running the men's and women's simultaneously. So the women's event starts on May 28th, and the men's event starts on June 4th. Oh, that's oh. awesome. So they're going to put the women out in the best conditions rather than just in the conditions that are not quite as good as when they're going to run the men's. Absolutely. Right. And right. Uh, Bethany Hamilton's got the wild card again this year. Oh, yeah. Cool. yeah. Awesome. She is uh, just an amazing Incredible. Human being. Yes, indeed. Before we finish this news, a quick roundup of the Rio event, uh, the men's and women's event took place. We were traveling with very, very slow internet in Nicaragua, so we didn't get a, much of a chance to watch what's going on in Rio. Did you catch much of it? I did not. I have to admit that I've fallen off these days with watching the Pro Tour. The I used to be into it so much, and I'm in a little bit of like just a... We're, we're taking a little break from each other, I think. <laughs> I don't know. It's not you, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> I was impressed with you t trying to watch it when we are in Nicaragua on such bad internet that you were really watching about 16 pixels just yeah. to arrange the stuff <laughs> on the screen. It sort of it became a beautiful mosaic. <laughs> uh, so anyway, as a quick roundup for that, Adriana de Souza beat Ace Bucken in the final of the men's, and John John Florence was knocked out in round three which allowed Owen Wright and Geordie Smith, as well as Adriana de Souza, to really close the gap. John John's still in the gold jersey, but the other three guys are really within striking distance. Um, you know, whoever comes out best at Fiji is pretty much going to take the gold. Also, big congrats to Yago Dora. Yeah, the wild card. He went on an absolute giant killing spree, didn't he? I think, didn't he go up against four world champions? Wow. I, was it four? I thought he took, I know he took out three world champions in a row in three heats. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, John, John Medina and Fanning. Wow. He could just retire right <laughs> after that. He, uh, his, Done. his dad is a pretty interesting guy. His dad yeah. is uh, a famous Brazilian surfer from back in the day. And he's also oh. Adriano's coach when he yep. won the world title. And, oh. and Matt Arnie, who is the editor of Surf Symphony Magazine, interviewed him uh, recently. Or actually Kim, who writes for Surf Symphony Magazine, interviewed him. But uh, yeah, really interesting interview with him. The quiet man behind the Brazilian storm. Yeah. yeah. Definitely <laughs> worth um, reading. Yeah, the, the, the other two stories, Philippe Toledo blew up at the judges and has been suspended for the Fiji Pro. Did he? Mm. Oh, I did not hear about that. Yeah. Um, he's issued a, uh, a, a very sincere apology. How old is he? 23, 24, something like that. Okay, so still a young no man. No excuse. When was, when was the last time that you lost your temper? You don't have to tell the listeners what it was about, but can you remember how long ago it was? <laughs> I don't I think it's Saturday. <laughs> oh, Derek, I'm sure that's true. Well, I, I can't say, even I imagine you losing your time. I have a George Costanza side to me where I get this little... Yeah, see, I think, because I have that, like, I can yeah. get... I think there's two things. That, that I've lost my temper a couple of times in my life where I, like, really, really lost my temper. <laughs> and there are a couple of times when I've been angry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And, yeah, and the last time well I lost said. my temper was, was a long time ago. But... yeah. Now, I, sp I specifically remember the last time I lost my temper, and it was about three years ago. And I, it was, I, I won't say what it was because I don't want to shame the Did person. Did someone leave wet board shorts in your truck? No, no, no. no. <laughs> it was like really easily avoidable. And, yeah. you know, uh, and, and I'd like, I'd pointed out how easily avoidable it was many times before it then happened. Uh -huh. and, uh, and I just remember walking back to my car and actually kicking a trash can, <laughs> which didn't move, and really hurting my toe. In I was about to say the trash can here are made of concrete uh, <laughs> well this was one of the big oil drum ones uh, but yeah then i had like a you know a big swelling on my toe for like a <laughs> week 
And everyone would be like, why are you hobbling? I was like, oh, no, it's a surfing injury. <laughs> Stub my toe. Yeah, there was just no dignity. It was such a, yeah. an uncool yeah. way of losing your temper. The other story of Rio was uh, Kelly Slater did not compete due to lower back problems. It's um, good to know that he is human as well and has a lower back. <laughs> yeah. You know, because he, he talks a lot about his stretching regime. You know, yeah. so we all have bad lower backs. It's just, it's hardwired into us as human beings because we evolved not to walk upright. We evolved to essentially kind of go around like uh, gorillas and apes do kind of on all fours a little bit. And only about 200,000 years ago, we started walking upright and our the backs just haven't kind of caught up quite with, with that posture, that way of standing. And it's mm-hmm. actually the same reason why your sinuses don't drain properly until you put your head forward. Until you lean over to kiss your partner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, Paige. And, um, <laughs> Every time. <laughs> I was, do you remember our friend Luke Tamlin? Yeah. Who, who we used to work with. And, and we were talking about how if you have sex after surfing and you're on top, suddenly the sinus <laughs> yeah. away. And he just you like, quick as anything, was like, well, that's what the turtle roll is for. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I like that. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, just as a quick reminder, we did do a whole episode on bad lower backs. And I'm sure that more than half of our listeners have bad lower backs. So the very quick, like 30 second skinny on that is, if you've got lower back pain, don't try and solve it until you've figured out what it is. You need to go and see a doctor and find out if it's skeletal, if it's muscular, if it's caused by nerves in your back, Mm -hmm. because there are things which you can do which would help one, which would make the other worse. For example, if you've got a muscular problem and you have it massaged really hard, that can just cause the muscles to inflame more. Pretty much for most things, the only thing you can do which is is not going to make anything worse is resting it, which isn't obviously the you know ideal but everyone wants a bit of a quicker fix than that but right. go along to your doctor not a chiropractor chiropractors are not medical scientists and they're not a back doctor go along to a doctor get it diagnosed figure out what it is and then uh, you can kind of take steps from there actually I'll, there's a good article on science-based medicine of uh, back pain which we could put, put in the show notes we will put that in the show notes just before we get too sidetracked by that uh the women's event uh, at rio tyler wright beat joanne de Fay in the final which leaves Tyler Wright and Steph Gilmore tied for first place overall. It's the second time it's happened this year that we've got tied, uh, you know, two gold jerseys going into uh, cool. an event. Uh, it's cool. I yeah. mean, they're, they're my two favorite female surfers. And Tyler Wright is like power and performance. And Steph Gilmore is more like style and grace. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they're both just super cool human Amazing. beings. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I'd love to see them duel it out for the rest of the year, especially in Fiji. Yeah, Fiji will yeah. be good. So... All that means with the fantasy surfer, and apologies for any bad pronunciations, you listeners have come up with some very imaginative names for your fantasy surfer teams that are really <laughs> going to challenge me. So in the men's event, Tasuk Bagus won the Rio event, and Mashatazo CR17, you're in the lead overall on the men's, so congratulations there. In the women's, Ad Rorks. Uh, won the Rio event, and Calder Max is in the lead overall. So well done, you guys, and uh, don't forget to get your team set for the Fiji event. And whoever is Tasuk Bagus, can you tell us what Tasuk means? I like the... Ad Rocks. Um, I like it. I like it, listeners. Good comedy yeah. fantasy surfer names is amazing. <laughs> You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast. Okay, so no main feature for this episode, but what we are going to try and do is clear some of our backlog of listener emails that we've had sent in. We've got quite a few to pick from, but uh, Rue, do you want to start us off? So this is from a while ago from Mark Summers, who has stayed with us at uh, Surf Simply before. He says, I do have a question for you, Re. one point that was stressed in the lessons. 
keeping your feet perpendicular to the center line. My natural stance is toes out. In cycling, I need to reproduce this stance on the cleats of my shoes that connect to my pedals in order to deliver the greatest and most efficient power. I feel that trying to go against my natural stance took away some of the power. So this is one of the most common things that we coach surfers of all levels on. If you imagine when you're standing on your surfboard, listeners, your feet will naturally want to point slightly outwards, i.e. your heels will be closer together and your toes will be further apart from each other so that you're in what we sometimes call in surfing the poo stance, right? And now that stance works really well for just about anything you're going to do in life. If you imagine you're standing receiving a serve in tennis or if you're you know, about to enter a wrestling match, I'm not a wrestler, but I, <laughs> I assume your feet will be kind of outwards. It's, it's kind of the default ready for action position. I right? think pretty much once your feet go wider than your shoulders and hips, there's an inclination for the, for the feet to slightly point outwards, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. And unless you're consciously trying to make their thighs look thinner in a photo, in which case they turn the feet in. That was a trick I didn't know. Very true. Yeah, it's not a problem that I have with my little skinny things. Yeah, so the the trouble, listeners, is that you tend to stand that way on a surfboard. And what then tends to happen is that your knees point out from each other, which obviously doesn't look terribly dignified. But from a functional point of view, it often means that you end up trying to move your weight backwards and forwards by leaning with your upper body. So imagine your lower body staying fairly static and then you're leaning forwards when you want to go faster, back when you want to perform carving turns. And that's all being done with your head and your upper body. And that's okay when you're doing it a little tiny bit. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you start doing it very quickly and very powerfully, i.e. if you're doing a direction change of more than you know 90 or 120 degrees on an unbroken wave, or if you're needing to move your weight back and forwards very quickly, as you might when you're taking off on a very steep wave, when you need to have your weight forwards at the top of the wave, and then you need, need to very quickly transition your weight to the back of the board as you get to the bottom of the wave so that your nose doesn't go in. If you try and do any of those quick and powerful transitions of your weight from the front to the back of the board by leaning with your upper body, then you're very quickly going to fall off and lose your balance. Mm -hmm. So the key with surfing is that your upper body is staying relatively still and instead, what you want to do is move your weight backwards and forwards with your hips. Now, what you need to do in order to move your hips backwards and forwards is actually drop your knees slightly in towards each other. If you stand with your feet pointing out in that stance and you try to drop your knees in and move your hips backwards and forwards, which is what most experienced surfers do do, you'll be very prone to giving yourself knee and ankle injuries, particularly on your back leg, because you're collapsing your legs sideways. So the main problem with having your feet out is, number one, if you have your feet out, it's much more instinctive to lean backwards and forwards with your head and your upper body. But number two, if you're experienced enough to know that you shouldn't do that and you should move your hips backwards and forwards instead, you're going to make yourself very prone to knee and ankle injuries on your back leg. If you turn your feet in, then rather than collapsing your knees sideways in order to have them coming in together, now your knees are actually bending in towards each other the way that they're supposed to bend. So you won't get injuries and it's much easier to move your weight backwards and forwards with your hips. So you can have your feet pointing out and use your hips to transition your weight. There are some surfers who do do that. Sean Thompson would do that. And you see uh, Adriano de Souza surfs more like that. Some of the other Brazilian surfers kind of use that style. So the answer to Mark's question is, yes, you can get away with surfing without having your feet turned in. And it certainly feels much more natural. 
but it's not going to be optimal for teaching yourself to use your hips if that's your limiting factor. And if that's not your limiting factor, it's quite easy to injure yourself. I tried to do all that without any pictures, which is quite <laughs> difficult. So I was using my hands a lot. So I, I hope that kind of, I hope that comes across okay in audio form. Derek, do you have a question for us? Yes, I do. Um, this one comes to us from Miles Tillinger from Sydney, Australia, and it's titled Autopilot. He says, G'day, mates. I love listening to all the free coaching advice you provide on your shows, and I'm always trying to improve my skills. I'll be walking to the beach, thinking about that turn I want to work on, sitting out the back, thinking about the takeoff or taking off a little deeper, and I want to delay that first bottom turn. But when I think I see a set coming with a wave I want to catch, I click autopilot and it's enabled. I kick out and realize I had no control over my approach to the wave, like the wave rode me instead of the other way around. Do you have any tips on how I can disable autopilot and be able to think about what I'm doing on the wave? Thanks in advance. I freaking love listening to the banter and look forward to visiting Costa Rica in the near future. Cheers. Thank you for your email. And this is something that I wanted to address because I've kind of found myself in that mode a while back. And I, I know what you mean. It kind of all goes by so fast. And then by the end of the wave, you know, sometimes when I'm working with one of our guests, I'll say, okay, how did that one feel? What happened on that one? They'll look at me and go, uh, I don't know. It all happens so fast. It kind of goes in and out of our brain. So some things that help me, maybe a few more lookbacks to, to let the brain and the body be ready for what's about to happen when the tail lifts that maybe won't shock you and send you into that autopilot mode. It might have you more prepared for what's about to happen. Um, next is when you're just hanging out the back. As those waves roll under, you look back and look over your shoulder and see what that drop-in may have looked like if you were going to go for it. And that, I think, will just help your brain be ready to see that when it is time to drop in on that wave, maybe if it's a little steep. And lastly, really make sure that when you decide to go, keeping that head up and being more aware of what's going on around you instead of immediately what's happening around your feet will kind of settle you a little bit maybe and kind of slow things down. I would, I would add to that that try to have, you know, you, you mentioned Miles thinking about doing a specific turn or a cutback. You know, try to go into the water with a goal, with a, a drill in mind rather than just going out there to surf because as, as soon as we get in the water, if we're just surfing, you know, in our head, we're thinking about doing that turn. But as we're riding the wave, we're making it up as we go along. Whereas if I'm going in with a very specific drill that I'm doing whatever the wave offers, then I'm much more likely to stay focused on, on what I'm working on rather than going back into autopilot, just trying to ride the wave. So just to answer in a slightly different way, I think the real point is that you can't think about more than one thing at a time. So when we're coaching people, we build it up in steps. Right. so that people aren't overwhelmed. It's right. like this, and then if I've done that, then this, and if I've done that, then this. Kind uh, of the checklist. A, a kind of the checklist, rather <laughs> than the being overwhelmed with a lot of stuff they have to think about at the same time. Mm -hmm. But that, like taking a step back from that, like you say, Harry, knowing what it is that you should be specifically working on in that session, as opposed to just going for a surf is the key. Uh, and I, the analogy I always like is, if you imagine you were learning to play a musical instrument like the guitar, Mm -hmm. You might sit down and want to play a whole song start to finish that sounds good. And, and that might be like going for a, a free surf and just enjoying surfing the wave all the way down the line. Right. Or you might sit down and you want to learn how to play B minor. So right. you're just practicing, putting your fingers in that place and getting good at playing B right. minor. Right. right. So when you go out for a surf, break your surf up like 20 minutes. All I'm going to think about is 
I'm going to keep my leading hand outside my heel rail when I bottom turn onto my forehand. I just mentioned that because that's one of the classic mistakes that a lot of surfers make. So that's all you think about for 20 minutes. You don't care about anything else. That's your one thing. Then your watch beeps. That's 20 minutes done. I've had three or four waves where I've done that. Now I'm going to go free surf and autopilot's fine. The autopilot cool. can come on. I'm just going to enjoy being out here in the water and paddling around and having a good time. Um, one of the techniques that we use when we're coaching is we put a bit of sticky tape on the front of the board right underneath where the surfer is laying with whatever that one specific thing that they're working on is written on it. So, you know, in that instance, it might say leading hand and that's just mm -hmm. there. You can also just write it on pencil on your board and then you can just rub it off with an eraser afterwards. Okay. But one of the hardest things is actually knowing what that one limiting factor you should be working on is. Uh, we've been spending a lot of time behind the scenes here at Surf Simply talking about how we're going to develop an online coaching program. And the one biggest problem is always that when people come along and start being coached, the first thing you have to do is get them to do a whole bunch of drills. So it tells you, well, where do we start? Um, and, you know, that, that takes a few days to work through. And then you can almost kind of start the coaching part. And, you know, the way we're going to get around it with our online coaching is we're going to have a specific package that doesn't teach you anything except for show you what it is you should be working on. And then you can begin right. coaching afterwards. Right. Um, so it's not an easy thing to know what to work on. But like, uh, like Harry says, have a specific goal for your surf. Make sure you're consciously making a decision whether you're free surfing or thinking about that goal. And the points that Derek just brought up are all, yeah. I think, classic, really common individual skills that you want to think about. And if you are going to build up more than one skill at a time, yeah. make sure that they're chronologically happening rather than simultaneously happening. I've also heard you mention building on that, Rue, is that when you do, say, for that first 20 minutes, keeping the back arm forward or whatever it is, I've heard you mention to people, if you do happen to make other mistakes, just make sure that one is solid and don't worry about that other stuff. Yeah. Give right. yourself a pat on the back for making sure that you let, didn't let that bad habit happen again. Exactly. That's and the, that's that's really the classic thing, right? So yeah. if someone, let's say they're working on having their front foot sideways on the center of the board, uh, and then they paddle, they go over the falls because they went late on a wave, right. or they, you know, they, they, they fell off because they had their hand in the wrong place, right? right? And then they get so distracted by that mistake that they start thinking, oh, well, I don't want to get that wrong on my next wave and they forget mm -hmm. about the foot thing which is what they went out there to work on right. again going back to our music analogy you try and play b minor right and then you go into another you just get it sort of okay and then you you go into another chord you get that wrong and then you spend ages working on the right. other chord right. you know you're not going to get the b minor right yeah so focus on b minor for stay, a bit staying longer. on point is, yeah. is really difficult because surfing is so fun and <sighs> distracting which is what's great about it yeah so another question on technique, and I'd like to say thank you here, because uh, we have an audio question. Hi, gents and occasional lady. Um, I have a question. It's about a maneuver. Um, maybe it's called the down carve, but I'm not sure. But it's when you, you know, come up like you're going to do a frontside snap, and instead of snapping the tail around, you lean onto your rail, and then you just power a carve straight back down the wave's face. John John Florence does them, and uh, Andy Irons did them. And I really like this maneuver, you know? I've been trying to do them. My problem with them comes when I get to the bottom. I've come straight down, and I'm kind of sidled up against the whitewash, but not really 
in it and I'm going really, really fast and my board's completely flat and getting tipped back into uh, a turn on the rail so that I can be getting back down the line into the next section is very hard. I also find myself in the back seat a little bit. So I'd like to know if you guys have any tips for that. Thanks again for the great podcast. So first of all, I love that he calls Jesse the occasional lady. <laughs> I think we should get her a t-shirt with that. Yeah. <laughs> you know that photo that you have of her in the office where she's wearing the goggles and holding yeah. the camera with the thing? The GoPro? Yeah. yeah, we should have that in black and white with just the occasional the lady underneath the t-shirt. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, well, yeah, thank you, Henry Lothenberg, for the audio question. We also actually had uh, Mark Silverman wrote in asking uh, for a little uh, discussion about the technique between cutbacks and snaps and, and what have you. So... Um, just to kind of, I guess, square away the maneuver that he's talking about, you know, a snap is a, a very tight turn done very much from the back foot right in the pocket of the wave. And a cutback is obviously a, a more drawn out, maybe slightly more front footed turn out on the shoulder of the wave. And the down carve or the hack kind of sits in between the two. You're not right tight in the pocket, but we're not far enough out on the shoulder to do a cutback. And although it is a tight radius turn, there's a lot more drive from the rail than maybe there would be in a, in a snap. So for listeners who want to know what a down carve looks like, the two videos I'd recommend is either episode seven of John John's 12. There's a nice little free surfing section at the end where you can see a couple of waves where John John carves right from the top of the wave right down to the trough vertically downwards. So they're not flicking off the lip and then dropping in, but they're keeping the pressure on the rail as they come all the way down the wave. Yeah. Connor Coffin actually does them pretty well as well. Yeah, high li- a, the Highline video at J-Bay. Yeah. Oh, he does some amazing down carves. One thing that always impresses people who don't surf that much are like flashy tricks, yeah. you know, and what really impresses surfers is doing a turn where you hold your rail in the water for a really long time. It's something which is so simple in terms of explaining what it is you're doing, just trying to hold the arc of a turn for a really long time, but it's so incredibly difficult. And because of the exponential nature of the amount of force you have to put on a rail as you go faster, it becomes more and more difficult to do it better and faster and hold the turn for longer as you start doing it faster in bigger waves. Yeah. So it, like, it, it definitely is what I spend 90% of my time when I'm out surfing doing. And for you guys out there that are sort of entry-level surfers that maybe haven't been surfing, performing maneuvers on the unbroken face of the wave all that long, you know, really spend your time trying to do long turns. I mean, regardless of whether they're cutbacks or cut downs or roundhouse cutbacks or bottom turns, holding the rail in the water for a long time rather than trying to talk the board around very quickly is a really good and healthy way to think about your surfing so that you keep progressing and getting better and better. So that's just one thing I think that's worth putting on one side. So yeah, I mean, one of the things that that makes this turn really difficult is that when you coach a cutback, you teach someone to draw that big, long arc and to finish in the whitewater as high up on the wave as possible so you can use the rebound off the whitewater and the fact that you're high up on the wave face to re-accelerate out and away from that maneuver. And the classic mistake that people make when they begin cutbacks is that they finish the cutback down at the bottom of the wave. Yeah where there is then no speed for them to turn and redirect back down the line. Absolutely. And, and with a, a good snap turn, well, the whole maneuver should be done high and tight at the top of the wave. So again, you're, you're re-entering the wave from high up in the critical part of the wave. The problem with these down carves and hacks is that actually they don't do that. You carve all the way down to the bottom of the wave and you finish 
often with very, very little forward momentum, you know, you've used up all of that kinetic energy in this big, powerful on-rail turn, and now you've got nowhere to go. And actually, one of the interesting things is if you go through looking at examples on video, whether it's John John or Kelly or um, Geordie Smith, you know, guys that are all very good at them, actually, a lot of the videos, it cuts when they get to the bottom of the wave. And the, the time... Indicating that that was the end of the wave? Well, either... Maybe. So possibly, you know, a lot of the time you see John John doing this out at sunset, and he quite often does that big down carve at the end of the wave before the wave peters off into the channel. And he basically does this big down carve and then kicks out. And there's an awful lot as well where someone will do a big down carve and the wave will just close out and run off away from them. But it's a video part. Right. You know, you get that video shot. One of the really good examples, and I'll, I'll put this video into the show notes, was Geordie Smith at Bells in 2014. Oh, I know exactly the wave you're talking about. So he came out, did this perfect down carve maneuver, which mm -hmm. finished him down at the bottom of the wave with relatively low speed, and he transitioned absolutely perfectly into a bottom turn that took him up into the lip and into a nice tight re-entry. Mm -hmm. And it was, that's what's so hard, is not necessarily doing this down carve, but is recovering from it to ride the wave. So there are some maneuvers in surfing, which the, the difficult part of learning them is understanding the technique, the, the how you do it. And there are some maneuvers that are very difficult because it's, it's difficult to know exactly how much and when you should do the thing. And timing the transition the changing from one rail to the other going from a down carve into a bottom turn and then going back up the wave face is incredibly difficult in terms of the timing yeah so henry probably is thinking about it in terms of the right way he's probably having not seen any footage of himself at all <laughs> he's probably just got the timing wrong yeah and that that clip of geordie smith is an example of someone getting the timing just exquisitely perfect yeah and we've mentioned on the show before when Sofia Milanovic was out here surfing with us out at Guiana's a few years ago. And I mean, she's like, I can't remember, she's tiny, like 5'1", five 5'2". Five and the power she was getting out of her maneuvers because her timing was so good. And, you know, we've, we've did a whole show on explicit and implicit learning. It's still to this day one of the podcasts we've done that I'm the most proud of and I think is the most helpful in terms of sports coaching. But that transition into the timing of the bottom turn is a very good example of something that has to be learned implicitly as opposed to explicitly. There are a couple of situations where you will see people use these. Um, you know, the classic is you've got a close-out end section. People do it into it. Yeah. Uh, you've got the a steep, bowly wave, but that's going into a deep water channel like you see uh, John John doing at sunset. Um, the other one, which Andy Irons used to be the real king of this, was to do that big down carve, leave himself at the bottom of the wave with no speed, and just and then basically under the lip and get barrel. Yeah, okay, just that use so that basically that. as his as his stall into the barrel. I used to do that all the time on Kelly Slater's Pro Surfer yeah. PS2, <laughs> and used to nail that every time. I had my timing perfect. I'll but, tell you the, the the other just interesting point to make about down carves is that the really difficult thing about doing them is going into a bottom turn, which brings you up towards the lip vertically on a section where you can then begin that big turn. And not just down carves, but all off the lip surfing really is built around that bottom turn. And the, the biggest problem that level four shortboarders have when they're trying to perform off a lip maneuvers when we're kind of video coaching them, uh, and, and I'm sure that a lot of our listeners have this themselves, is you're at home thinking, okay, I want to do this big turn off the lip, whatever turn it is. 
and you're thinking about the lip, you're looking at the lip and you're thinking about how that maneuver is going to look off the lip. But when you were coming up to it, you didn't get your board going 12 o'clock, going nice and vertical up towards the lip. You probably, if you look at the video, had your board coming up at much more like sort of 2 o'clock or 2.30. And so one thing that we spend a lot of time with our level 4 surfers doing when they're, when they're riding shortboards and working on those kind of maneuvers is actually just doing a 12 o'clock drill where they go into their bottom turn hold the rail in the water all the way through the bottom turn for a long time so that the board comes right up at 12 o'clock. And then we say, look, don't worry if you're falling off. Don't worry if you're just coming over backwards or going off the back of the wave. You just have to get that bottom turn so you're coming up at 12 o'clock because if you don't do that, you can't line up any of the off-the-lip maneuvers with any kind of speed. So, you know, any surfers out there that really want to be doing kind of off-the-lip off surfing, really focus on doing a bottom turn where you keep the rail in the water for a long time and you end up with your board pointing right up at 12 o'clock. You'll fall off a lot when you're doing it. You'll have to sacrifice the wave. But once you've got that skill down, then you can start thinking about off the lip surfing. And that, that's another good example, going back to uh, the question about you know, breaking the kind of autopilot. Mm -hmm. That's a really great drill that we have people do for 20 minutes. You know? mm -hmm. And you're going to fall off on almost every yeah, wave yeah. you do. Then your 20 minutes is finished and then you go free surf and you can kind of angle your takeoff yeah. a bit more and play it safe and just enjoy riding the waves. But over the yeah. years, that skill will build up. Now, the final thing that I would say with these down curves is uh, unlike a snap and a cutback, you do need some space to be able to do this. And it's vertical space. These are incredibly difficult turns to do on waves that are below head high. And you really won't see them being done all that often in waves below head high. If you think of all the, the great examples that you see from, like I said, John, John and Kelly and all the rest, it's almost invariably that they've got a six to eight foot vertical wall for them to, to draw out that arc and then time going back into that bottom turn. Because without it, everything's going to happen just a little bit too quick and a snap or a cutback is going to be a better maneuver choice. Okay, before we wrap up this episode then, we have our regular What to Watches. Uh, Rue, what have you got for us? A couple of things have caught my eye this week. I really like Matt Maiola's new video on Vimeo. I thought that was really cool. Just a really cool edit and him... You know what he does? He does these kind of like laybacks where the, he lets the tail of the board completely release. Yeah. And then he does some kind of like David Blaine magic thing <laughs> where the board's back underneath him again. I have got okay. no idea how Clay Marzo that. used to do those, didn't he? Yeah, you know, it was reminding me of the Clay Marzo Young Guns 2 films when he was doing them off the lip in, in Indonesia. Yeah. And, but, but Matt Maiola seems to be like, he's just turned the volume up on that maneuver. That's and on awesome. a couple of them, he even throws the tail and comes up with the board backwards in the white water. I've, I, I've got no idea. It looks so freaking I think cool. it was just add water. Somebody goes to him, like, setting up an interview, like, getting mic'd up, and he's like, call it a clayback. He's like, I'm not going to call it a clayback. A clayback. <laughs> I'm amazing. not going to call it a clayback. Uh, the only thing that, like, in the middle of that Matt Maiola video, it's all cool, and then suddenly in the middle, there's just this really blatant bit of product placement with some, I think it's, like, organic rock star drink. <laughs> but it's just, like, it's, like, it just totally takes you out of the movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've got, no, I've, I've not, I don't object to native advertising and product yeah. placement. I feel like it just has to be done a little bit more organically. <laughs> yeah. You know? The old Seinfeld ep episodes always used to go, Snapple. He'd offer everybody a Snapple. <laughs> He'd open the fridge, Snapple. Um, the, uh, the other thing that's caught my eye is, so, you know, we were talking about uh, John John Siri 12 from last year, and Kelly Slater's doing a similar kind of thing this year. I assume yeah. it's going to be a similar thing. It looks that way, doesn't it? Certainly, although the write-up that he's put seems to suggest this is the start of a series. 
and it's called Continuance. Mm. So part one is out, which is him at Snapper. And um, it's, I assume, going to be sort of done in parts and following him through the year. And he's made it quite clear in this one that he's going for a world title at 45 years old. Regular listeners to the show will, will know that we've been quite disparaging about some of Kelly Slater's opinions on various things outside of the world of surfing. But I would love to see him win a world title at 45. I, I just... I mean, I, there's other people I want to see win world titles as well. I'm rooting for John John, a big fan of his. But to see Kelly win a 12th title at 45, like yeah. I would be as awesome. loud as anyone. That would just be amazing. Yeah. The yeah. film is, is done really beautifully. I actually really love the cinematography. And the, I, I was actually geeking out with James, who makes our <laughs> weekly videos, about what yeah. filters they've used yeah. on the video. Because a lot of it's shot in quite cloudy weather, but they've made it look really delicious, cool. the colors. So mm. we're going to try and figure that out and steal them and use them in some of our <laughs> weekly videos if we've got any surf simply podcast listeners who are movie buffs and you watch that movie and you know what filters they've used in the production please email me i'd, I'd be really interested to know now derek what do you got for uh us? yeah i mentioned a little just a few minutes ago that uh i if anybody out there is interested in the wave garden um there's a video on vimeo uh called wave garden cove 2017 and it's got all the the boys from the pro tour out there ripping it and it gives a lot of the details on the park itself so it talks about how it can like you were saying Rue, it can have a smaller footprint with regards to construction or a larger one based on where you might be or might be interested in building one somewhere so really cool yeah absolutely i'm going to give you a, a what to watch and a what to listen to as well um my what to watch is just because i love this stuff part of the promotion for taylor Steele's new movie proximity there is a virtual reality Party Wave with Steph Gilmore and David Rastovich on a big, I think they're in uh, Mexico, weren't they, on big right-hand point breaks. And uh, there's a really fun just party wave with them carving around and sharing the wave. Awesome. And, uh, you know, the VR is really good for that because you can turn cool. your head and look and follow the, uh, follow the action. I um, think I clicked on that one and Safari did not support it. So oh, maybe uh, Firefox or Chrome. Yeah, lucky. Safari sometimes doesn't let you do the full VR thing. Right. So just in case any of you guys check that out, you might need... Uh, Firefox or Chrome or something like that. Oh. You really want to have it on your Definitely. You know, phone on a headset. Yeah. yeah. So you're probably looking Yeah, it. ideally that's what you want to be doing. My other recommendation, like I said, is a what to listen to. It's a podcast from not a surf podcast, but it is an interview with Kelly Slater. It's so the guy interviewing him is like a wellness guy. Yeah, he's definitely like a, an alternative health and wellness guy, which is a little weird, but they do steer well clear of that for the most part can i just and can i just say for listeners who might not understand the reference that you and i just made there the word wellness is generally a massive red flag for pseudoscience in terms of anything to do with healthy living so whenever you see something with wellness written on it like always just have your skeptical antenna immediately uh, full alert status um yeah but in, in this case uh kelly sits down he's a, an australian guy and it's i think just after the bells event and they they sit down and start talking and kelly really opens up to him and it ends up being i think it's about a two hour long interview and he talks about his motivations behind outer known behind the wave pool technology he talks about being uh, you know an absentee father to his daughter and how that situation arose and, and, and has, has come about it's a really really interesting and honest to, to listen to like I say it, it is a you know this, this it's called the traveling wellness show and I'll put a link to it in our show notes there are a couple of bits where they they touch on stuff that um, the science might not be hard and fast but the, the thing that interested me was was just all the way through hearing 
how it seems like Kelly's got this real thirst for knowledge. You know, he's he he's on the computer. He's he's following links and information through the internet, and, and it, you know, I guess just has picked up on a few topics that maybe I would disagree with him on the uh, the authenticity of. But that aside, I thoroughly recommend if, if Kelly Slater has been to you guys as he has been to me, you know, something of a hero. Um, I really recommend listening to this because it's a it's a, a great dive into into his mind and his mindset. It is quite long, so, uh, you know, maybe one for a flight or a long drive. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. We were talking about this before the show, but when we were at school and probably when most of our listeners were at school, having knowledge was really, really important, uh, what you could carry around in your head in terms of information. Now it's really not that important. You've got all the knowledge the human race has gathered over millennia in your pocket, accessible on your phone. So the most important skill now is not having that information, but it's the ability to pass good information from bad information. Yeah, because in, you know, in the school days, you had your textbook and maybe something that was in the library, but actually mm -hmm. they, they, it was quite controlled, the information you had access to. Right, whereas now the skill is, is typing homeopathy into... Google and being able to tell which pieces of information on it are bullshit and which mm -hmm. are solid science. And that's, you know, that's, that's a really, it's a difficult skill to learn. Mm -hmm. And I think it's what kids should be being taught in school. I mean, you know, we could go down a whole rabbit hole conversation yeah. here, which, which I won't go down, but the fake news thing is a symptom of yeah. people's yeah. lack of that skill, their inability yeah. to do that. And I think Kelly Slater is a really good example. He's obviously really interested in stuff. And when I meet people who, who hold opinions on things that are just clearly not based in science or fact, they're usually really smart and interested and curious people who, again, just haven't been able to separate fact from fiction because they don't have the critical thinking skills, or the, the ability to evaluate evidence and the, the, the baseline scientific literacy. So, you know, Kelly's interested in, interest in, in wave pool technology has taken him down this great route with these very skilled engineers who've helped him put the, the Kelly Slater wave pool together. And then, you know, on the other side, he's, his interest in nutrition, he's just gone down this total pseudoscience kind of end where he's, he's, you know, now carrying around a lot of opinions that are just contrary to what's fairly well-established science, what we know to be true. And it just kind of reminded me, you know, I've had a lot of fascinating conversations with people after the, the food science episode we did ages ago. So thank you very much to everyone that's that's been emailing in. Quite a few people have pointed out a, a guy called Gary Tobes, T-A-U-B-E-S. But he's written a bunch of books like Good Calories, Bad Calories. And a few people picked me up on the last episode where I made a point about uh, you know, losing weight being a question of burning off more calories than you're consuming. So Gary Tobes has this hypothesis, which is that putting on weight and losing weight doesn't have anything to do with how many calories you eat, what they call the energy balance theory. What he says is it's to do with how many carbohydrates you eat. Now, I, I'm not a biologist. I do know that that is contrary to the current scientific consensus and that most well-established scientists would say that he's incorrect or at least that there's insufficient evidence for him to say that his uh, hypothesis is anything other than just an untested hypothesis. So what was interesting about him and the reason I bring him up is that he exhibits a couple of red flags, one of which is he's standing out on his own in contrast to the whole scientific community. Doesn't mean he's wrong, just big red flag. Another big red flag is he's been going on about this for 20 years. He's published three best-selling books on it. No 
papers, no uh, scientific experiments that have been right. published in journals that have been peer-reviewed supporting his data. Again, that is another huge red flag. And you see it all the time, especially in the nutrition industry, when if someone is publishing books that they're selling and they're not publishing scientific papers that are being reviewed, that, that are supporting their hypothesis with evidence, again, big, big red flag. So, you know, the jury is out to some extent on the Gary Tobes thing, but two huge red flags, definitely not enough evidence to actually, for him to be saying the stuff he's saying with the confidence that he's saying it. We should be spending just as much time considering our sources as diving into the actual information. And I think that's something, like you said, when we were all in school, it was different. Today, the challenge for somebody that's assigned with a paper or a report or something is, yeah, there's so much data out there, but which, what bits of this data is my professor going to accept as all right, this is a credible source. I'll yeah. let you include this in your paper. So just the last thing I'll say on this before we move on, the, a lot of our listeners I know from the analytics are in New York. I'm not going to be able to go to this, but there is a conference at the end of June, a three-day conference called Nexus in New York. And one of the workshops at the conference is specifically on how to tell real news from fake news. Right. So it's just teaching all of these skills awesome. over an afternoon with a guy called Stephen Novella who runs the Science Space Medicine blog, who's like my personal hero. <laughs> the only guy that when I met him, I got a bit fanboyed and overwhelmed. <laughs> Super cool human being. Awesome. So anyway, any, anyone in New York who gets the chance to go and do that and is interested in that kind of brain stuff, I would, I would go along to it. If I was there, I would definitely go. Absolutely. Very cool. Absolutely. All right. That is pretty much all we've got time for. From all of us here, goodbye. Bye. Take care. That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply coaching resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com.